Our scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 15. It's pretty long. That's probably why I was trying to get down out of here. John chapter 15, we're going to begin at verse 18. And if you all are using the Bible in the pew, it's on page 1130 and 1131. I'll read 18 to 27 of chapter 15, and I'll read the first seven verses of chapter 16. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. All right. Before we dive in this morning, I just um, want to remind you that we have a Good Friday and Easter uh, coming up around the corner, and you've got an invite card in there. I wanted to let you know that our Good Friday service this Friday uh, will be a little bit different than years past. It'll be more like our Christmas Eve service was this past year, so just a short Friendly, uh, family-friendly service that uh, you know you and your kids are welcome to join us in here. We will have nursery care if we can pull that together, but we won't have uh, any kind of children's event uh, separate from what we do in here. And uh, but I think it'll be a, a special evening of worship as we remember what Jesus did on the cross and we share communion together and all that. So uh, wanted to let you know about that on Easter. Make sure that, uh, that you're here and that you bring enough friends with you so that we meet our attendance mark. Because for the last three years, 
we've had exactly 114 people here. <laughs> I don't know what the odds of that are, but we're going to make it four unless you want to bring more. That's all right. <laughs> 114. I don't know what's magic about that. It's been different, a different 114 every year, but it's anyway. All right. Before I go, you should know. I'm going to need, um, would you mind grabbing my notes off the printer? <laughs> because I put some scripture on there that I was going to read to you later. And, and then I just left it. And I don't even have my Bible up here or else I'd just grab it. But anyway, we'll, we'll take care of that. This week is a little bit of a different sort of sermon. Uh, we're talking about the very last uh, bit of, of what we're going to look at. What Jesus talked about before he left, before he would be crucified. There were some final things he wanted to say to his disciples. And this is one of the last things that he shared. And it's the last thing that we'll look at ahead of Easter. And as you note, the title today is, Before I Go, Expect to Suffer. Before I go, you should know, expect to suffer. This is one of those weeks where you think, huh, could have stayed home today. <laughs> Not the most uplifting of sermon titles, is it? On Palm Sunday, thank you. On Palm Sunday, uh, all those years ago, Jesus rode in on the colt of a donkey. And that signified, that was a statement straight out of prophecy that he was the, Israel's Messiah, the king, come into his city, the city of Jerusalem. And it was a big moment and people recognized the statement that he was making and they celebrated it and they welcomed him. Crowds came, right? And they waved palm fronds, hence we call it Palm Sunday. And they laid their coats down on the ground for him to ride in on. And they celebrated and they worshipped God. But we also know that just a few days later, the crowds would call crucify him. It's kind of the nature of things, isn't it? As uh, Larry Worsham would say, one day chicken, the next day feathers. <laughs> That's kind of how things go, right? I was thinking about that. I mean, we celebrate Palm Sunday every year, and then we celebrate Good Friday every year, and so many of us in small ways experience this in our life all the time. Everything's fine. Everything's going well. And then in an instant, everything changes, and you're in the midst of a trial. It may last a short time. It may last a long time. It may be a small trial by comparison, or it may be a large one. But we all face sufferings of various kinds. What do we do with that? Many of us, we struggle with that. Our faith struggles with that. Many people in our community that uh, maybe they would be Christians except for the fact of suffering. Jesus address the topic head on. If this world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. What an opening verse for a scripture reading today. 
If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Before I go, there's some things you should know. This is Jesus, like a, like a person on their deathbed who calls people in to share some last words. Jesus didn't look sick, he didn't look like he was about to die, and yet he knew what was coming. And before he left, he had to be sure and warn them of what was coming for them, and not just for him. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They'll treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. He warned them. He warned them that they too would suffer as he would suffer. I, it dawned on me as I was preparing this message that I haven't heard very many sermons on suffering. At least not like the one we're going to preach today. I haven't heard many preachers choose a passage like this for their text to preach from. And yet, as I sat there and thought about it, this may be the largest gap in Christian teaching in America. The New Testament is a collection of manuscripts that have a very common theme running through just about all of them, and that is suffering. The Gospels tell us the story of a king who triumphed through suffering. And that king told his disciples that to follow him was equated to picking up their cross and denying themselves and facing suffering. In our New Testament, we have the book of Acts, which records the earliest persecutions of the church for us. And how those persecutions helped, in fact, to spread the gospel throughout the known world instead of it just staying located in Jerusalem. That as the persecution became so intense, many left that spot and carried their faith with them into new places. And yet, as Christianity spread, we know from history that persecution spread. And we have recordings that the disciples came to expect suffering, and not only to expect it, but to rejoice in it, that they might be counted worthy of suffering with their Lord who suffered for them. This is all in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have book after book, we call it, letter after letter, written from an apostle to a church. Many of them were written by Paul, but some were written by other apostles to other churches throughout Christendom in the first century. And they were written from suffering apostles to suffering churches. Have you ever noticed that? 
Some of them were written from Paul while he was in chains for the gospel. Two churches that were suffering under persecution in their own local areas. And finally, the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation, which is, despite what people try to make it out to be today, a letter to the suffering church. A vision to encourage those facing intense persecution, probably under the Emperor Nero. This is the New Testament. It's undoubtedly one of the major themes of the New Testament. Is it a major theme of our teaching and our understanding of our faith? Jesus said, it's not all bad news. There's a helper, an advocate who will come. We will send him to you. And he'll testify about me and you must also testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus, think of this in the context of what he's talking about, the suffering that they would face. You must also testify even at the risk of your life is the implication. You must also testify even though it means extra trials will be heaped on your shoulders from what life already throws at us. But you'll have help. Jesus even says that it's better that I leave, right? <laughs> so that I can send this help. You're going to need it. Then we read these words. All this I've told you, so that. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's why I've told you all this. I know it sounds really depressing. I know that it's not very sunshiny. But I've told you all this so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. See, we read that and we think, okay, the synagogue was like the Jewish church building, and so they got like excommunicated out of the church. But the synagogue was more than that. It was like the community center. It was the... Well, we don't really have anything to compare it to. They were being cast out of community. Out of their support network. They were being disowned. If you were disowned by all of your family and friends, you might have an idea. They were being cut off from the community in a, in a, in a society that was, in a culture that was so dependent on community for survival. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I read that this week. I had read those words before. But when I prepared this message, I, I read those words and I thought, uh, and it was just like a, a light came on. One of the big struggles in our community today, in our world today, in our faith today, in the American church, and really probably just the Western world, with Christianity is, how can there be a good God and suffering in the world and pain in the world? How can these two things coexist? And people wrestle with this. 
probably many of you have wrestled with this to some degree. Certainly you've known someone who, and, or heard someone who couldn't put these two things together. They seem irreconcilable that, that there would be so much pain and suffering in the world and that there could be a good God in this world. And Christians have been trying to figure out how to battle this epidemic in our faith, this source of doubt for so many people. And so many Christians called apologists of the faith have set out to reason out a rationale for how suffering can coexist with a good God. And their work is important. And, and I don't at all today mean to um, say that it's not. However, as I read this, I really felt like, you know what, our problem is not that we lack a rationale for how pain and suffering can coexist with a good God. Our problem is that for years, maybe centuries, we have failed to teach the expectation that you will suffer. It's been part of Christianity for 2,000 years. Why is this culture now, in this corner of the world, struggling with how suffering can happen and can coexist with a good God? When it's not the case in other parts of the world that people struggle with that question like we do. And it hasn't been the case in much of history that they've struggled with that. Could it be that we stopped warning people to expect suffering? Look at what Jesus said. The reason he warned his disciples to expect suffering was so that when it came, they wouldn't be dismayed by it. It wouldn't catch them unawares, but they would remember what Jesus had said, that it was coming down the road. Another passage of Scripture, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Troubles. You know, we know that verse. But have we taken it to heart? There are groups of Christians in our culture that teach that you shouldn't suffer in this world. If you follow Jesus, if you're doing it right, if you have enough faith, if you're spirit-filled. But Jesus expressly taught us that we would suffer. We'll have troubles in this life and we'll have extras if we follow him just like he had extras. Now we live in a unique place and time where we've suffered little for following Jesus and yet we still know pain and suffering don't we there is no human being on the face of planet earth that is immune to pain and suffering if you live long enough it finds you and Christianity has never been about exempting anyone from the pain and suffering that we experience in this life. In fact, if anyone's expecting it, it should be us. It should be the followers of the suffering servant, the suffering savior, who promised that his disciples too would face such trials. And I wonder if we would begin to teach this again 
and begin to warn one another and remind one another about the faith that we've inherited from the martyrs that have gone before us and those persecuted for their faith that have handed down such a rich heritage to us and our brothers and sisters around the world that still face persecutions for their faith. I wonder if we could pass on an expectation for suffering if the next generation perhaps wouldn't be dismayed by it, wouldn't be caught off guard by it. It wouldn't even dawn on them to question how can suffering coexist with God because they were expecting it all along just as Jesus taught us to. Jesus says that they're filled with grief because he had said these things. It does feel kind of heavy, doesn't it? But I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send help to him. I told you that the New Testament, in many ways, is a book of suffering. From front to back. From Jesus to Revelation. But alongside those teachings that there is suffering are teachings that, hey, it's going to be all right. I'll send help. And teachings that say, do not be afraid. In fact, that's one of the most repeated phrases throughout Scripture. Do not be afraid. Sometimes God says it at the oddest times. You're like, really? Stand firm. Put on the full armor of God. Even the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against you. We are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not death, not hell, not demons, not powers of this world, not a sword. These are also in the New Testament. If we sum all this up, perhaps we could say it like this. You should expect to suffer, but you should also expect to win. You should expect to suffer. But you should also expect to overcome, to conquer, to not give up, to be able to persevere and endure in the midst of whatever life can throw at you. This is our faith. Not that we shouldn't suffer. And not that we should long for suffering either, or enjoy it. Don't think that. No one's ever enjoyed suffering. Even the believers that said, we rejoice in our sufferings, weren't saying, we sure enjoy these sufferings. <laughs> That's kind of the point. You can't, if, you, if you're enjoying the suffering, you're not really suffering. right? It's kind of the point of suffering is to suffer. 
There's a medical condition for that, all right? So, no, suffering is miserable. The fact that we can rejoice in it, even in the midst of being miserable, is because we know the hope that we have. And we know what our God can do with suffering. Look at what he did with Jesus' suffering. Think what he can do with your suffering in your life. For you and for your friends and your family and for people you don't even know yet. We should expect to suffer. We shouldn't be dismayed when it comes. But we should also remember that we win in the end. I put together a few, a short list of, of declarations that we're going to give you after the sermon today. We're going to sing Old Rugged Cross here in a little bit. And while we do that, the ushers are going to pass out a copy of it for you. It's got on one side what I call declarations of expectation. And on the other side, declarations of confidence. And they're kind of, I didn't hand them to you in your bulletin because I thought some people would look at it and then turn around and leave. I thought maybe I should explain myself first. But as I was trying to think about how do we apply this in our life, right? I mean, you're not going to go out and make some suffering uh, this week. I mean, you may be in the midst of suffering right now and, and certainly choosing to keep the faith and persevere and asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. Those are things that are very relevant to you right now. But what we need most, perhaps, as a group of believers is to have our mind changed and our expectations changed to align with the origins of our faith. And so I put together some declarations that maybe you could begin to declare in your life. Maybe you'd read these out loud to yourself this week or for however long it takes until you feel like it's sinking in. And some of these may feel uncomfortable and you may think, I'm not sure that I'm there yet. So these are, in a sense, declarations by faith. You are having faith that such a faith is possible. We believe it was possible because we read about these things in Scripture. Let me read to you these declarations. Three declarations of expectation. I will consider it an honor to be counted worthy of suffering as my Savior suffered so willingly for me. I won't be surprised at America and the world turning against me and my values when they do not know God or Jesus. I recognize my life is short. Like a flower of the field, I'm here today and gone tomorrow. Things worth remembering. On the other side, you'll find declarations of confidence. 
There is no level of pain or suffering this world can conjure up that I cannot endure and overcome through Him who gives me strength. I will love those who hate me and bless those who persecute me and pray for my enemies. The trials that I face do not hinder my ability to live for Jesus. They actually facilitate that ability. Now you may read those and say, ah, that doesn't even make sense to me. Use them as a brainstorm beginner or an idea starter for you to make your own declarations along similar lines. But let's begin to realign our thinking and our belief system so that we once again are the people who follow a suffering Savior. That we once again are a people who expect suffering, not that we desire it or long for it, but that we're not surprised by it, and that we know that we can overcome it, and that God can use it for good. I want to close today by reading you a passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture found in the book of Hebrews, in the letter called Hebrews. And it comes at the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. And it goes through a whole bunch of people who had strong faith. Abraham, and Joshua, and different ones like that. We pick up in the latter half of that. That's where I'm going to start reading. If you uh, want to look it up now or later, you can, or you can just listen. But I'll start at verse 32 of chapter 11 and work my way through to end at chapter 12, verse 4. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I've read that verse before, and I just always thought, well, cloud of witnesses who had faith, the faith witnesses, 
the faith people who came before us. And it wasn't until this week that I read it and said these were the ones who kept the faith and persevered through suffering. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And we'll close with verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider him who shed his blood this week. As we approach Good Friday, the events of this week, remember. Remember he who we follow, who shed his blood so that we can say these words, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. The only reason we claim that truth is because our Savior suffered and one and we are his people we remember that today will you bow your heads with me and pray father thank you for such a cloud of witnesses those who've gone before us and kept the faith through the difficulties they faced God, today we confess that to some degree, at least, we've abandoned that part of our faith, that realization that should have taught us the value and expectation of suffering. Holy Spirit, give us the help, the faith, to recapture that kind of faith. Help us to have a healthy expectation of what we may face in this life, but also help us to persevere and to endure and to overcome. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.